What is humanism? What are humanist values? What is unique about living as a humanist in Northwest Ohio? This is the place to find out. My name is Douglas Berger, and this is Glass City Humanist. In this episode, I talk about the riot and attempted coup in Washington, D.C. on January the 6th that was counterbalanced by the inauguration of Joe Biden as the new president of the United States and what that means for secular people. I also talk about a church and state federal lawsuit that was filed by some schools in the Lucas County area to subvert a public health order and why that's a problem for church and state. And then finally, we talk about a couple of articles uh, that I found that, uh, concerning student suicides in the lockdown era and also about Ohio being a anti-vaxxer state. And welcome to the first episode of the Glass City Humanist for 2021. I apologize that uh, we were off the air so long, as it were. Uh, had some health issues, had to deal with uh, general sicknesses. No COVID, luckily. I had a couple tests for COVID. Didn't have it. Um, so that kind of just went by the wayside, and I apologize for that. Uh, so what we're going to do is kind of get caught up with what's happening since the last time we had an episode out. The month of January was very, very busy uh, in the world. Um, on January the 6th, uh, a riotous mob invaded the Capitol, the U.S. Capitol, in an attempt to wrongly steal the election. I'm not sure what they were trying to do, but basically uh, there is a broad... Uh, uh, branch of Americans who believe that that uh, the former president, Donald Trump, actually won the election in November, and that a vast conspiracy, left-wing conspiracy, took the, uh, stole the election from him, and some of his more, most ardent supporters protested on January the 6th, which was the day that the Joint session of Congress was going to confirm the electoral college vote. And they protested after being egged on by President Trump. They marched to the Capitol, protested outside. And then shortly thereafter, they overwhelmed the small contingent of security and uh, broke windows and doors and got inside the building. Um, Being that it's the federal government, they had uh, plans in place and they whisked like Speaker Pelosi and Vice President Pence out of the building and to a a secure location, as they call it. Uh, Meanwhile, what police were there uh, had a heck of a time trying to keep the people out. Um... From reports I heard, people defecated and spread it in the building. They stole items. Uh, Some guy stole mail off of uh, Speaker Pelosi's desk. Uh, It was just terrible, just awful. Um, They ended up having to uh, 
activate something like 20,000 National Guard troops from around the East Coast and ship them in once they had cleared the building in order to secure it. Now, we could get go into the weeds and talk about why there was so little security for that building. Generally, I mean, after 9-11... They've locked down, they've locked down Washington, D.C. after 9-11. Uh, for the longest time, you couldn't even get a tour of the White House because they cut all that out. Uh, they had, uh, uh, concrete, uh, what they call bollards, bollards blocking the road, the driveways to the Capitol. And so you had to be authorized just to drive up to the Capitol. Um, they re, they, uh, in the last few years, they built a large, uh, Visitor center underground, and the only way you can access the Capitol is through the visitor center now. Uh, you, when I was there probably 20, 25 years ago, you could go up the front steps of the Capitol and go in the door, and you can't do that anymore. You have to go in through the visitor center unless you're uh, a legislator. But, and so it's just, it was just mind-boggling watching these people storm the place uh, in some cases, it looked like uh, police let them in. Um, five people died. Five people died. Uh, a policeman was killed. Uh, one of the protesters was shot to death by a, a police officer. Um, and I think like three other people died from medical conditions from the stress, either from heart attacks or whatever. But, but five people died. Because these people were protesting a conspiracy theory. You know, it, it was just unusual to have a president of the United States trying to undermine an election. It was just, it was just mind boggling. Um, you know, I'm not rah, rah, you know, patriotic, you know, my country right or wrong, but, you know, it, in order, in order for us to have a working democracy, we have to have elected leaders that are going to follow the rules. And one of the rules is you don't incite a riot to undermine an election that you lost. And unfortunately, they did that, or he did that. So that was a big mess, a big, big mess. Um, you know, no matter, no matter how you voted in November, I mean... That just make it just makes me feel ashamed to be an American when I see stuff like that. Um, a lot of that is uh, goes back to the anti-intellectualism that's been festering in this country for decades. Um, it's where people think that they know more than experts or people that actually get paid for knowing certain things. Um, you know, like people think that the that some people think that the COVID-19 uh, pandemic was a hoax or it wasn't as, or it was just only as bad as the flu, you know, when medical doctors and scientists were saying otherwise, you know, or, or it's something where you know you're right because you saw a video on YouTube. It's like, no, that's not, oh, it, it's just very disheartening. It's very disheartening to see people fall for this stuff. And then they get, then they whine and complain when you call them on it. 
uh, and they become, they almost become victims of their own ignorance. Uh, there's, you know, probably at least a dozen people that have been arrested on federal charges for storming the Capitol. And just kind of read an article today that at least eight to 10 of the people that have been arrested didn't even vote in November. It's like, how could you be protesting an election result you didn't even participate in? That's just nuts. It's just nuts. Oh, and I apologize for saying nuts, but it's nuts. Anyway, so that happened on January the 6th. On January the 20th was Inauguration Day, and we got a new president, uh, Joseph Biden, who was formerly uh, vice president in the <clears throat> uh, Barack Obama administration, and he was a longtime U.S. senator from Delaware. Um, and he is stark difference than Trump, and, and it's good for the country to kind of get back to that kind of normalcy where you actually don't have a raging narcissist in charge of things, you know, and somebody who wants to go by the traditional rules, even if they're not law laws, you know, ethical, I guess ethics would be a better word, you know, somebody who wants to be ethical. Um, of course, he didn't start out his new presidency too well with secular people. In his inauguration speech, it was chocked full of religious references. And unlike uh, President Obama, uh, he didn't name check secular Americans at all. Um, and so, but some of the things that he's done in the first week or two have been positive for secular people. Uh, he undid the Muslim ban. Um, he also uh, got rid of the, the uh, abortion gag rule that uh, had been in place. Uh, what that meant was that, that, uh, that if you did business with the federal government, you couldn't talk about abortion, you know, things like that. So they got rid of that. Um, also, uh, Biden is going, doubling down on listening to scientists and experts in the fee in the fields like, uh, in virology and medical science and, uh, um, he put together a task force to combat the COVID-19, and it's full of people who aren't just telling him what he wants to hear, but actually have expertise in dealing with outbreaks and pandemics. And I think that's going to be good for the country. Um, there are some people on the left side of the aisle that are, are complaining about Biden, that he's a... a in cahoots with the corporations and things like that. And, and, it, and I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. He is, he is an establishment person kind of person. <clears throat> in fact, his views have evolved over the years. Uh, when he was in the Senate, he was anti-abortion, uh, not, yeah, he was anti-abortion. And also he had been previously against same sex marriage. Uh, both of those items, now he is on the right side of history on those. Uh, one reason why he was anti-abortion is he is a Catholic. Um, doesn't make any bones about it. He goes to Mass, and um, he did that on Inauguration Day, and, and such, such like that. So, the good news is we have a new president. So, hopefully things will get better. Um, 
there are some other things that are not as good in this country when it comes to uh, church and state separation. And uh, we'll talk about that in the next segment. For further information on the topics mentioned in this episode, check out our show notes on the website at glasscityhumanist.show. Uh, before I, we get into the next uh, topic about some church and state issues locally, I just wanted to uh, let everybody know that the secular humanists for Western Lake Erie are having uh, what's called a coffee clatch. Um, it's a social time online. Uh, you can get details on our website, humanistwle.org. Go to the events page. Um, so basically, if you want to see what I look like or talk to me and not have this be on a podcast and uh, uh, talk about humanism, church and state issues, what have you, uh, join us for a coffee clatch. Um, the next one is going to be on February the 17th at noon. That's a Wednesday. Uh, we're also having a speaker join us on February the 18th. That's Thursday evening at 7 p.m. also on Zoom. It's going to be Charles Hill from the Recovering from Religion and the Clergy Project. And um, that's what he'll be talking about is recovering from religion. Um, I know personally it's not something that I need. Um, I left religion pretty early on. Uh, it was a smooth transition for me. Um, I wasn't kicked out of my house. I wasn't uh, shunned by my relatives. Uh, it was pretty easy for me. But I know that not everybody gets treated that way. And uh, um, so check that out. Uh, uh, that, again, that's going to be Thursday, February the 18th at 7 p.m. Uh, details for that. And the registration link is on our website again at the on the events page at humanistwle.org. All right, now we're going to get into our next segment about church and state issues locally. We had a, a pretty big one. Um, back in, I believe it was November... The Lucas County Health Department issued um, a, um, a public health order that prohibited in-person uh, classroom activities at public and private schools in Lucas County until uh, January 11th. Um, and the reason being was it was the holiday season was coming up. They were worried that there was going to be, if kids were going to and from school, that there could be a high risk for a uh, surge in coronavirus cases. And so they wanted to kind of keep the children and really the, the family of the children safe because, um, and this is something else that's, that's part of that, is that some of the initial scientific studies that have come out have shown that uh, school children are less likely to get sick, even if they go to school, but they are more likely to be carriers and take, they'll be asymptomatic and they'll take the virus home with them. Um, anyway, so the uh, Lucas County Public Health Department shut that down. Uh, the state didn't. 
uh, other counties did not. Uh, what that also meant, too, was there would be no sports. Uh, you couldn't have practice, you couldn't have any games, couldn't have any sports. Well, that did not set well with a couple of uh, religious private schools in the county, uh, namely St. John's and Emmanuel Christian, who are very good at sports, particularly basketball. Uh, St. John's is good at football, as most Catholic schools are that can recruit players to play at their school. Um, and so they were very upset that uh, they would not be able to have basketball practice or games. And they were really upset that their children were going to miss out on sports. That was the main thing. They, they talked about mental health. Um, that's another topic that we'll probably touch base on here later on in this, this episode. But they were worried about, well, they claim that they were worried about the mental health of the children. It was really about sports. Anyway, so they filed a federal lawsuit against the, the county in order to get an injunction so that they could go back to school. And uh, because uh, places like uh, uh, this school in Monclova Township, they were meeting in school, in person, having school five days a week, had been. Um, the state, their guidance was that you could have in-person schooling as long as you had uh, uh, social distancing and you wore masks and you cleaned everything, etc. But the county said no, shut everything down, public and private. So the three private schools, Monclova Township School, Emanuel Christian, St. John, filed a federal lawsuit uh, in Toledo. And in Toledo Federal Court, the judge ruled for the county because it was a public health order, and he deferred to them. The schools filed an appeal uh, to the whole uh, Court of Appeals down in Cincinnati, the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, a three-judge panel this time decided that we're going to hear it. Um, the little twist on the appeal was that uh, Ohio Attorney General David Yost decided to file a friend-of-the-court brief in support of the schools. Now, that was a bit problematic because in previous interviews, he had claimed that as Ohio Attorney General, he was going to defend state public health orders. But obviously, that didn't apply to county health, public health orders because he directed his office to file a friend-of-the-brief court, a uh, friend-of-the-court friend brief saying that the private school should be allowed to um, subvert the public health order. Um, I had, as president of uh, Secular Humanist uh, Western Lake Erie, had sent in a letter to the editor about the school's lawsuit, and we did a press release uh, chastising uh, Attorney General Yost for getting involved in the case, uh, He because he, it was just, it was like an expedited case, you know, it, it was just it was just weird that a state official would get in the middle of a local issue. But anyway, so they they appealed to the the uh, sixth sort sixth circuit court of appeals, and the three judge panel ruled in the school's favor. Uh, the reasoning, and you can you know look it up online. I might have a link in the show notes to the to the uh, complete order, the complete decision. 
But normally, when you talk about church and state issues, uh, you got to consider whether or not you are treating the religious aspect differently than you would treat the same activity uh, by a secular entity. Okay, so let's say in general, you would think, well, the public schools are closed too, so they weren't treating the private school any differently. However, with the um, the uh, courts now weighing heavily on the conservative side and supporting religious freedom, or what they think is religious freedom, which means giving special treatment to religious entities. Um, and this was done in a court case in New York that the U.S. Supreme Court, I think, might have ruled on it. I'm, I can't remember. But the similar reasoning was that you're not, you don't compare apples to apples. You compare risk to risk when it comes to pandemic public health orders. So the school's argument was that it was violating the First Amendment to close the private schools when the state, the county was allowing uh, casinos and tanning salons uh, and grocery stores to remain open. Yeah, that sounds just as ridiculous as it sounds when I said it. I'll, I'll wait for you to catch up. So basically what they were doing was they weren't comparing school to school. They were comparing risk factor of getting the virus between schools and other businesses. Um, and the, the data is still kind of out there. The initial data is that there is less risk of students getting sick at school. Uh, they can still carry it home. The other thing, too, is that when you're in a school, you're in a school, if it's in-person learning, five to six hours a day. And unless you're practicing social distancing, which I think is near impossible in some schools, and as long, you know, and if you're wearing a mask, you should be wearing a mask, you're more likely to get it, I think, at a school. Now, there might be some people that spend five or six hours in a casino. And I get that. Um, not a tanning salon, because a tanning salon, you, you're not going to spend a lot of time there. Plus, it's a single person in a tanning salon. You're not in a large room full of people. Um, and I know the casino that we have here in Toledo is pretty large. I'm sure that they could space things out and have social distancing in the casino. Uh, in the grocery store, you're not in the grocery store very long. Uh, in a liquor store, you're not in there for very long. I can't understand. I can't imagine somebody spending five or six hours in a liquor store unless they had a serious alcohol problem. So none of those businesses that the schools mentioned are exactly like the school. And the risk factors are different too. So basically, it appears that the courts just pulled the reasoning out of their behinds 
saying that it was a violation of the First Amendment. And, and you kind of have to ask yourself, well, why wasn't it a violation of the First Amendment of the public schools? But they didn't consider the public schools. So basically, they gave special treatment to the schools. Now, the New York case I mentioned earlier was a, a Catholic church and a Jewish synagogue had sued the state of New York over a similar order that closed their churches to uh, in-person worship service. And the same reasoning that the Sixth Circuit used in the school case was used in that New York case. Now, that is at least plausible because a church is a different type of entity than a school. I, I, for, for church and state separation issues, we've always treated schools extra diligently than we have churches. Uh, because one, the students are held, are in a captive state, more or less. They can't leave. Um, so you can't pray to them. Um, the teachers can't make you pray, uh, and th things like that. And so it's not the same. It's it just, it's just bizarre that, that <laughs> for a public health order, you can treat them like a secular business, but for everything else, you can't. So what I see is a slippery slope of that happening in the near future that religious schools or religious entities are going to sue and say, well, you know, we're like these, we're like the pool hall. We should be treated like the pool hall. Instead of we're a special exception, we're a religious group, we have to protect people's religious beliefs. So... And that uh, ruling from the Sixth Circuit happened at the beginning of January, like the first week or so. And the order was due to expire on the 11th. Uh, they had requested that it be reheard. The county did, but it, they, they, it was denied. So they pretty much just let it go um, since it was going to be moot anyway. Uh, that's what happened in the Kentucky case was that the... Uh, suit didn't get to court until after the order had expired and they just said it was moot. So I think that's probably why the county didn't appeal. But it it just it's just troubling. It's a troubling decision. It's just uh, you know, it's just it's hard for a secular person to wrap their head around it that that these schools, these private schools got special treatment during a pandemic. You know, putting their family in danger, putting the students in danger, even if they don't, even if they're not sick, you're still, it's still, it's like rolling the dice. It's like gambling, you know, and it's gambling, you know, many people in this pandemic, you don't know how you're going to react. You don't know if you're going to be one of those that get a stuffy cold or a headache and for three days and you're done. And you could be the person that ends up on the ventilator and dying after three days. I don't know why you would want to take that risk. Um, I do hand it to some churches in, in the area, such as uh, First Unitarian on Glendale. Uh, they have foregone in-person worship service until uh, the vaccines have taken hold in enough people. And it's good on them. Um, the government should force the ones that don't want to do it to do it, but they don't because they just 
they just get all antsy about anything having to do with church and state issues. They just don't want to deal with it. That's why when um, Governor DeWine was putting out his orders about things being closed, he made a point to say this doesn't apply to religion to churches because no, nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to handle that. And and the thing is that in the early days of the pandemic, and more so, you could still see it, that a lot of the surges and cases came from funerals and weddings <laughs> and church services. But, uh, you know, nobody, no government person wants to have a backbone and treat these religious entities like everybody else. Even though <laughs> the religious entities are complaining that they're not being treated like everybody else. So we'll see how that works out. This is Glass City Humanist. Okay, I wanted to touch base on a couple of articles that I read this week or in the last couple weeks. Uh, the first one, it was an article that was in the Las Vegas Sun newspaper. Um, and the title of it was Surge of Student Suicides Pushes Las Vegas Schools to Reopen. And basically, it was an uh, article about, well, I'll just read a little clip from it. It says that uh, since schools shut their doors in March, an early warning system that monitors students' mental health episodes has sent more than 3,100 alerts to district officials, raising alarms about suicidal thoughts, possible self-harm, or cries for care. By December, 18 students had taken their own lives. The spate of student suicides in and around Las Vegas has pushed the Clark County School District, the nation's fifth largest, toward bringing students back as quickly as possible. This month, the school board gave the green light to phase in the return of some elementary school grades and groups of struggling students, even as greater Los, An Las Vegas continues to post huge numbers of coronavirus cases. And this was from the Las Vegas Sun. Uh, I don't see when it was... Published. I apologize. I don't see when it, it doesn't have a date on when it was published. It was recent. It's been in the last couple of weeks. But anyway, the reason why this article kind of bothered me isn't so much so that the, the suicide, the spate of 18 students that committed suicides, um, that, that's a terrible thing, ter a terrible tragedy for uh, the family. Um, I, I can think of probably the stress of the pandemic, the lockdown, um, the isolation, not being able to get mental health care uh, while you are in lockdown. Uh, I, I think that has a lot more to do with it than not being in school. Um, and I know some parents in local districts around me here in Toledo uh, they've been using the mental health argument for opening the schools back up and having uh, in-person classroom again, which kind of, it just, I am not, 
I am not a mental health professional. Uh, I don't treat people like that. So please, if somebody is a health, mental health professional and I am at, coming at this the wrong way, let me know. Uh, send me a comment. Uh, track me down on social media and let me know that I am totally off base. But it just seems weird to me that students would kill themselves because they can't go to school. I'm not saying that that can't happen. I'm just, it's just, it's just strange because usually, usually, typically students that kill themselves kill themselves because they have to go to school. Uh, because they're being bullied or they're transgendered and being ridiculed or shamed or, um, or they can't speak English or whatever. I mean, we've had, we've had several in the news. Uh, there's been several students that have killed themselves after being bullied. So I, I am finding it hard to fathom that there are more suicides because Students can't go to school. I think it has, I, to me, it appears, and again, if the science is totally different than what I, my take on it, I'm more than happy to change my, my viewpoint. But currently, my viewpoint is that it's a lot more than just not being able to go to school. It, it's a combination of that they're already, um, already vulnerable. Uh, you have the lockdown, you have the pandemic, um, the world's, the world is, was a, a dumpster on fire for a long time. Um, uh, the isolation, um, there are some people, there are some people that don't do well unless they are around other people. I get that. I am not that way, but I get it. And, and maybe their home life is not that great. Maybe they're not doing well in school because of the remote learning. And all of that is just heaping on to somebody who needs help and can't get it. And they kill themselves. That's what I'm thinking is going on. So opening the schools back up and getting kids to come back. You don't need to do that to get them help. You can open up the school and have counselors and have mental health of people, professionals, be available for help. And I think that was one of the main things we missed doing during this whole entire lockdown situation in the past year is taking stock of the mental health of everybody, not just students, but workers and adults and kids and, and, uh, uh, first-line workers. I know uh, our group, the Secular Humanists of Western Lake Erie, we had a, a support line. Um, uh, we have it in our uh, contact, our outreach section of our website for people that are having a tough time. Um, I know I've been available to talk to people if they want to talk. Um, and, and I think we really missed the boat on that. And I think, I think uh, once the pandemic is under control and and we're, and we're getting back to quote, unnormal situation, unquote. Uh, I think, uh, we really need to work on having that set up for the next pandemic is being able to address mental health issues. But uh, I'll put the link to the, that article 
in the show notes. Um, it's interesting, but it it also says that there are the, the, the other thing I wanted to is when you're talking about uh, hearing a, a particular point of view, you want to hear uh, why somebody has that particular point of view. You want proof, evidence, um, scientific studies, data, um, and uh, they have this article, this paragraph in this article. It says, adolescent suicide during the pandemic cannot conclusively be linked to school closures. National data on suicides in 2020 have yet to be compiled. So <laughs> they're acting without any evidence. It, it, it's, it's just a combination of things where, where uh, some parents have politicized this to the point that they want their kids to be in school. They don't care about them getting sick. They, they don't think it's that much of a big deal. And like I said previously, it's a crapshoot when you, when you're at school and there's a pandemic. You could be asymptomatic and not get anything. Uh, you could get, uh, um, deathly Ill, Ill, like with the flu and survive. Um, and you could end up rolling snake eyes and end up on a ventilator or worse. Um, that's just, that's too much danger for, <laughs> for some of these people that are so pro protect our children. Uh, they sure are cavalier about the pandemic. It just, it amazes me. It really does. Um, and then finally, I wanted to, uh, make a point that, uh, there was a, uh, there was a, um, Al Jazeera, which is the uh, news organization that's funded by Qatar in the Middle East, they have a, a online presence, and they did a story. Um, the title of it was "Stop This Vaccine Shit Inside One of the Most Anti-Vax Vax States," and it was all about Ohio. Um, and I'll put the link up in the show notes. But we have, we have a problem with anti-vaxxers in this state. Um, and you could see that with the, the mask mandates, the protests about having to wear a mask. Um, and again, these are the same people that don't think twice about taking the rights of women away f- from making their own health decisions about their reproductive rights. But yet, try to make them wear a mask or or want them to take a vaccination and they are just going off on making it all political. But I just wanted to point out a couple points about the video um, is they have or try to have an interview with the uh, person who is the chairman of the Ohio House Health Committee. And this is somebody who their committee goes over health care policy in the state, and he is a raging anti-vaxxer. Uh, they have him on tape talking to an anti-vaccination group, and that's where they get the title. He's got to slow, the, slow this shit down. And, and so they tried to interview him at the state house, and he basically ran away from them. He ran away from the reporter from Al Jazeera that was asking him questions about his stance. Because that's the thing, you know, these, these people like to do this stuff 
behind the scenes, but they don't like to be called out on it. They don't like people knowing out in public that they're doing it, that they're trying to hurt people. Uh, we have another guy, Steve Huffman, I believe his name is, a senator who is also in charge of the Senate Health Committee. Um, he got in, made a name for himself nationally uh, back during the summer uh, when he claimed that the reason that African-Americans are more susceptible to getting sick from coronavirus is probably because they have poor hygiene habits. Yeah, he said that. And this is and this is a medical doctor who said that. And so he was fired from his job. He was an emergency room doctor. He was fired from his job. But now he got a promotion to be a committee chair for the health department. You know, this is what we're dealing with in Ohio with the supermajority of Republicans running the state house is we have anti-intellectualism, anti-vaccinations, um, people who want to impose biblical law as as public law and that's what we have to fight in this in this state um and so all i can tell you is you know call your legislator uh write letters send emails um if they have in-person events question them about their views um you know let them know that uh, secular americans are there and uh so so even though it appears that nationally, at least in the, in the White House, it's going to be a little bit better for secular Americans, we still have a lot of work to get, do, a lot of work. And hopefully um, we can try to keep it from getting too bad for most people. Thank you for listening to this episode of Glass City Humanist. For further information, notes, and links used in the show, check out the episode page at glasscityhumanist.show. The show is written and produced by Douglas Berger, and he is entirely responsible for the content. Comments and complaints can be left on the website or sent by email to listenercomments at glasscityhumanist.show. We are sponsored in part by the Secular Humanists of Western Lake Erie, and they can be reached at humanistswle.org. The theme music used on Glass City Humanist is Your Call by Kevin McLeod from filmmusic.io and is licensed through creativecommons.org as Attribution 4.0 International. See you next time.